This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. We're making a bunch of noise up here just to make sure you're awake and paying attention, you know. It is awesome to have you with us today. Uh, this is, if this is your first time, welcome. If this is your thousand time, welcome as well. It is amazing to be here. This is the last series, last message of the Christmas series, so I am pumped for that. I'm always excited to get through that. But uh, we have, coming up in the new year, we got Christmas Eve coming up this week, but coming up in the new year, we have an awesome series planned uh, in a couple weeks, so don't miss that. But today, we're finding, finally finishing this series called The signs of Christmas, and and we've kind of been looking at this idea that throughout Scripture, God has given us signs, or prophecy as we call them, and God gave us us these signs to be sure that we didn't miss what he was going to do through the birth of Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies leading uh, to Jesus, and it was God's way of saying, listen, the Savior is coming, I'm making everything okay, and here are the signs that you need to know that the Savior of the world is coming into the world. So we've been looking at all these different signs, and today, we're going to get to the last sign that it, it may not seem like a sign, but it's a sign that's really important to all of us, and I think it's going to speak to all of us today. So let's pray to start. God, we are so thankful for who you are. Father, I pray today as we come in here, today, God, we have a mix of emotions. Some of us are coming celebrating. Some of us come with a critical spirit, Father. Some of us come with, with a happy spirit. Father, we are all over the room today, so Father, I pray that you meet us here in this room. Father, in the day as we have this conversation, that we open our ears and hearts to whatever you have to say, whatever you want to say through me, and and as we talk about this sign that changes everything in our lives. God, we thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So at this time of the year, I think it's easier, maybe you agree with me, it's easier to split people into categories now more than ever, especially in this season. So you guys know how it goes. The first person is kind of represented by, by Buddy the Elf, right? Some of you, that's you, right? And if you're this person, you have, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, like it's like the last uh, you know, piece of pie was eaten, you're trying to put up your Christmas lights. Maybe you had them up before Thanksgiving. You have all your Christmas gifts bought already, you know, they're like, you've been buying throughout the year, you know, trying to make good deals and save money. Um, you, you're just happy, you're joyful, you're, you're fun to be around, you're listening to 93.3 all, you know, all November and all December, and you're just so smiley, and you're so happy, and so wonderful to be around you, right? So that's person number one. Person number two, um, I'm not going to tell you if this is you, but this is Scrooge. And you know who you are, right? Uh, you don't like putting stuff up. You're like, hey, why in the world do I need to put up a Christmas tree and so many lights? They're only going to be up for like four weeks anyways. Like, what's the big deal, right? And, and then you're like, hey, I don't like 93.3. I'm not listening to that station at all. Your Christmas shopping is not done, so there's, since there's a shipping delay, your gifts aren't going to get here till Easter, so the people you love, they're not going to get their gifts this year, right? And, and, and you're not necessarily always grumpy, though some of you are, right? But you're not necessarily always happy. You're just kind of a, a Scrooge, right? This is Jim Carrey's Scrooge. It's kind of scary looking, isn't it? But it, it's Scrooge. So you got Buddy the Elf people. You got Scrooge people. And you know who you are. I'm not going to tell you who you are. If you would like me to tell you what I think you are after service, we'll do that, right? But it may not be fun. But, it, you know, we're, we're divided in these two categories. And at times, unfortunately, this is who I am at this season. Not that I don't love Christmas. I love Christmas. But, like, uh, I do think... 
Can we, can we stop with the, like, Mariah Carey song? Like, she's been singing that song for my whole life. Like, can we stop with that song? Or Michael Buble? Like, can we come up with some new Christmas music it is? You know, we, I've had the same songs over and over again. I don't like that. But it goes back to my childhood. So my mom loves to decorate for Christmas. And, uh, and when, as a kid, when she decorates for Christmas, that means we're helping. We have no choice, right? So uh, we helped, and it was a miserable time. It was awful. I hated it, right? Never liked it. I especially hated when my stepdad and I would go out to put up the lights. Because every year, no matter what happened, no matter how we put the lights away, we would go to the garage, and we would pull up lights, and they would look like this. A tangled mess. Matter of fact, these lights that are tangled, these are two different lights, actually. These are from the attic of the church. So they're t and it's like no matter what you do with these lights, I don't care how you put them away. I don't care what secrets you have after service. It's like no matter how I put these away, if I go to the garage at my parents' house to get the lights, they will look like this. My promise is that, right? And that's why I don't decorate lights in my house. Whitney says, now that we have a kid that's going to change, joke's on her. I'm not doing it. So anyways, we'll see. She's not at this service. I'll see if I say that second service. But don't tell her that. But it's like no matter what she did, it's, they just look like this. Anybody have Christmas lights that look like this at times? Come on, be honest, right? You all do, right? It's like at this point, it's just easier to buy new lights because even if I get these untangled, I plug them in. They're probably not going to work anyway. It's like one bulb's going to be out and the rest of the whole strand's going to be out. It's not worth time. And, and, you know, it's just messy. I'm just going to throw these over here for right now. But it, it's messy, right? And, and when I think about life in the last two years, that's what comes to mind. It's messy. It's tangled. It's wadded up. It's messy politically, right? People can't agree on politics. COVID, and then mask, and then people are divided, and it's just been a messy year, and it's just messy, messy time. In the last two years, it has been chaotic, and it's been messy, and there's this article that was written last year by a secular person, and it said this, where is God in the pandemic? And they started basically asking, like, and we could go all day into that conversation, but like, if God is so loving and God is so kind, you know, the conversation, where is God in all of this? And we're not going to talk about that article, but maybe your life looks a little bit like that. That you feel like it's, it's messy, it's tangled, it's, it, it, there's pain and there's chaos and, and there's confusion and, and there's dysfunction. And you start maybe asking, where, where's God? Where's God in my life? I don't feel his presence. I don't feel that he's with me. I don't feel like he's working in my life. Where is God? And if you ever ask that question, it's a very familiar question. It's a very common question. It's one of the questions I get more than any other question. Where is God? But it's not a new question. Throughout scripture, if you flip through the books of the, of the Old Testament and New Testament, you'll find authors like David, and you'll find people asking, where is God? And, and you'll, you'll, you'll see that society is often asked, where is God? So today we're going to try to answer that question in the best possible way we can. But before we, get, we go there, I want to give you a little context uh, or kind of imagine with me that you were born maybe 50 or 100 years or maybe right at the time of Jesus. And if you were born at this time and, and you were Jewish, you, you were going to go, uh, eventually you're going to get to the age where you're going to go to the synagogues, you're going to go to the temple, and you're going to start memorizing, you're going to start getting taught scriptures, and you're going to memorize scriptures, you're going to memorize Torahs, and you're going you're to get taught certain lessons. You know, when we go to school, we learn about geography and the ABCs and how to count to 100, how to multiply, multiplication and division. Well, they learned scriptures and they learned about the Old, especially the Old Testament. That's all they had and they learned about them. And they would learn about, uh, in the beginning, 
much like us in the beginning, that God created the world and everything was perfect. God did this and it was great and God did this and it was great and he made this and it was great. And you would learn about Adam and Eve and that he made Adam and Eve and made man and he says it was good. And everything was going fine and they were walking with God. It says Adam and Eve was walking with God in the garden and he gave them a choice. He says, you can live in harmony and relationship with me and you can walk with me in the garden or you can ultimately do your own thing and not live in harmony and disobey me. And we know how the story goes, but if you're around back then, you've been told that man chose to disobey God and Adam and Eve, they were removed from the garden. When they were moved from the garden, now you will learn about sin entered the world and destruction and chaos. And then after Adam and Eve, you'll learn about Abraham and Moses. And eventually, you get to the laws, right? You get to the, law, the Old Testament laws and you would read about the Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. And you would learn about the 600 plus laws that you had to keep if you, if you wanted to be right with God. And you would have started to question, how in the world can I ever get right with God? Why in the world did my ancestors, everything was good. Why, why did they do this? Why did they disobey God? And, and you, you would have been told that we need to obey these laws. And if you obey these laws, then maybe someday you can get back in the garden. You can get back in the presence walking with God. And it would almost seem like it was like impossible to do because you would have heard the stories of your ancestors, the Israelites, how that God says, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to set you apart from everybody else. And for a little while, they would obey, and everything would be okay, and eventually they would not obey, and the chaos would enter. And so you would go through this cycle over and over and over again, and you would almost feel like this. There's no way we're ever going to get right with God. But then you start, you'd get to the prophets, and you'd hear about the prophets who would prophesy about Jesus or about what God was going to redeem them, that one day God was going to do something so we could be back in the garden, so we could be back in his presence, so we, we could walk with him again. You were to learn, you were to learn to memorize this from Isaiah, that the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion all her ruins. He will make her deserts like, like Eden, the garden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing so though you are living in this time where you're outside of the garden outside of God's presence you you would have had hope that one day God was going to fulfill his promise then you will learn the, the, the prophecy in Isaiah 7:14 that we've been looking at this entire series the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel so you, if you were born in the time of Jesus, you would have been waiting for this sign. You would have known all that history. So when the sign finally came, when, when there was finally God finally chose to do something, you would have been ready. You would have been ready for the sign that we're going to look at today, which is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, fast forward 700 plus years to the book of Matthew where God has been silent for 400 years. 400 years of no miracles, 400 years of not speaking, 400 years of no prophets. And your people, your Israelites, you and your ancestors and your great-grandparents, you were started to think, where is God in all this? As things got darker, as things got worse, and God wasn't speaking, you may have thought, maybe God is done. But then all of a sudden we get to the book of Matthew, then we have this hindsight. We get this, we live in this beautiful point in history where we get to go back to the gospel of Matthew. And God says, when you think I'm done, and you want to know where I am, Matthew's about to tell us. So we find this, and Matthew says, but after he considered this, so he's talking to, to Joseph, after Joseph was seen by the angel, after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he's like, hey, basically, Joseph, Mary's not lying to you. This ba- she has not slept with someone else. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. And he continues in, in Matthew, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. What did he say through the prophet? Well, he's quoting Isaiah 7, 14. He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where is God? Matthew says, you want to know where God is? Where's God's going to be? God is going to be with us. Where's God? He's with us. And I love those three words. God with us. Everybody say that with me real quick. God with us. Man, I love it. God with us. When everything seemed dark, when, when, when things seemed hopeless, when the world at the time was giving up, what did God decide to do? God decided to come and be with us. That Jesus came into this world to enter into our story, to enter into our lives, and enter into our mess. To enter into this tangled, chaotic mess that we have. Jesus like, hey, I see your life. I see your mess. I, I see the chaos in your life. And you, go, you, you know what? I came to enter into your story to enter into your life, and to enter in to our mess. So what I want to do today is I want that to sink in a little bit. That God is with you. Where is God? He's with you. And he came into your story, into your life, into your mess. And I want that to sink in. I don't want you to lose the awe of that. I want that to really change the way you leave here today. So something that I do when, when I read in my personal Bible study, and maybe this works for you as well, that I, if I'm reading certain verses or certain chapters, I will reread it over and over and over again. I don't process information that quick, so I need to read it over and over and over and over and over again sometimes. And, and so what I do is I read it and I look for certain words or emphasis or, or something stands out to me. So what I want to do today is I want to take that little phrase, God with us. I just want to break down each word. Three words, all right? We can do that. God with us us. No, none of the words alone on, on paper are big words. Three small words that have three major impacts. So Jesus came to be with us to enter our story and enter our lives into our mess because he's God with us. So let's look at the first word, God. Matthew said God came to be with us. And this, this idea that God coming down is a, a theological term called incarnation, right? And, and it's, it's a big idea. It's a big word. It's a, a, funda- a fundamental belief of Christianity, right? It is one of the core beliefs, right? You can't believe Jesus is who he is without this belief. Incarnation, meaning God came down to be with us. So there's a lot of theological ways you can say this. But I'm going to give you this definition because I like simple definitions. Simple doesn't mean it's shallow. Simple means you can understand it, and when you can understand it, it can transform the way you live. So we're going to give it simple here. The incarnation is when God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus. So the, the idea is this, that Jesus is God with us. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. That he was born a, of Mary, a human girl, but it was, through, it was conceived through the virgin birth, was, which was a supernatural event caused only by the Holy Spirit. Fully God, 
fully human incarnation, right? So he's born in this world, and he had to live our, in this world, like you and I, in the flesh, but he had to live the life you and I could not live. He had to be perfect to the law. He had to live a life that would allow us to get right with God. So he lives this life to get right with God, and he ultimately, because he lives this life, he's our sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice once and for all, so he, he lives the life we're supposed to live. And John, the Gospel of John, puts it this way. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's talking about Jesus and God, right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So John is saying he came to be with us, fully man, fully human, and he, you know, he put on flesh to be with us. And he came to be with us. If you go back to Adam and Eve, like we talked about, one of the primary reasons God created Adam and Eve was to walk with him, to be in harmony, to be in relationship with him. So when God ultimately decided to come save us through Jesus, Jesus had to come with us, to live with us. And throughout scripture, Jesus has given many names, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, the Lion, the King of Judah, right? The Alpha, the Omega. But the name that I find most important, the name that I found most life-changing is the name that Matthew gives, calls him Emmanuel, God with us, with us in our valley, with us in our peaks, with, with us in the mountaintop, with us when, when life is messy, life with us in celebration. Matthew is saying that the Savior of the world came to walk with us, to be with us. And he's God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just, a, oh, he's not just someone in the Bible who preached and like had good morals. No, he's literally God. And that should change the way we live our life. That he is God with us. And then we get, to, we get to the next word. And the next word is with. Right? With is a, a big, powerful word. Now, it doesn't seem like that big of a word. I, I don't know what they actually call it in English language, but it's like a transition word here. And with, and I think this is the word that has maybe the most power in it. Emmanuel, obviously, we, we all understand that God, he took on flesh, right? We understand that he God part, but we, we, over, we skipped this part, with. And with is a powerful word. It, it implies togetherness, but it also implies presence in our lives. Presence, right? And, and think of it this way. Like when, when you're celebrating or you're having a birthday party, a graduation or a wedding, what do you want the people who you love most to be? You want them to be present in your life. When you're growing up and you're getting in fights and, and like in, in, you know, in high school, and what do you want your boys to say to you? All you want them to say is like, hey, I got your back no matter what. When you're going through something tough, when, when life is rough, what do you want people to say? Hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Or you want them physically to be there. Because it, presence is important in life. And, and with is this idea that the Savior is present with us in our lives. And, and this idea of presence is powerful. Th this week, I, I got an early morning phone call on Monday morning um, from my mom. And I could tell as soon as I answered, like, well, first of all, my mom calls a lot, so I don't always want to answer, right? So I was like, I was like, it's Monday morning. I don't want to talk to my mom about who knows what, right? But I decided to answer it anyways, and I answer it, and I could tell there was something wrong right away. So I'm talking on the phone, 
And then she goes, she continues to tell me about my brother. My brother's wife, Savannah, Brendan, uh, uh, Brendan, my brother Brendan, his wife, Savannah, is pregnant. And she was scheduled to have my nephew, which is named Micah, at the end of January. But she's going into early labor. And, and the, Savannah's tiny, the baby's tiny. They don't know, like, they're like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't, we don't know if, if he's going to make it. And so they have to airlift her from Rolla, Missouri, uh, which is middle of nowhere, to St. Louis, Missouri. And they're like, hey, we don't know if he's going to make it. So I hang up with my mom, and then, then I call my brother, and uh, you, you could tell as soon as he, he picked up, I start talking to him, and, and you know, you could tell he's crying, and you could tell he, he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know what to say. I'm not a real emotional guy, but you know, I, I love my family, so I was like, man, I, you know, I wish I could be there. What I want to do is give him a hug, and I couldn't do that. And, and, but I, I knew that, the, and I was just, I was working on this, and the idea of presence is powerful, so I said the only thing that I could say. Hey, you know, God, God is with us. Like, he, he'll handle this. It'll be all right. And then I say, hey, I'm here no matter what. Like, presence is powerful. And what you can do when, when, when you're trying to be there for someone, just the idea of you being present with them, whether in spirit or, or physical presence, is important. And by, by the grace of God, little Micah was born at four pounds, and he's doing great right now. Him and Savannah are doing great. So God worked through that, but he is a tiny, tiny baby, and... Bless him, he looks a lot like Brendan, so he's going to have a long life, right? So, uh, but, it, you know, it's just this idea of presence, and it's like this idea of presence in our lives is so important. And what Matthew is saying is that the Savior of the world didn't just sit on his throne. They didn't just sit, in, you know, in his ivory tower. He came to be present with us in this life. And if you go back to when, when Isaiah prophesied about that in Isaiah seven fourteen. If you know anything about the history of Israel, it was this time when there was this superpower of the world at the time. And this superpower nation, it was devouring other nations. And it was taking, it was destroying them, and it was killing, it was wiping cultures off the map. And the Israelites, uh, they, were, they were afraid, and they felt like, they felt hopeless, and they felt afraid, and they felt like they didn't know what they were going to do. And other kings tried to come and make an ally with them, or they said, hey, we got we to gotta band together. And God says, no, you know, Israelites, don't do that. Like, I'm going to protect you. And they felt hopeless, and, and they're like, God with us, I don't even see God anywhere. So when Isaiah says these words, uh, you know, in this prophecy that he's going to be God with us, what he's saying is like one day, you may not understand this, but God is going to make everything okay, that he is going to be with us. And, and, but they felt hopeless and they felt like it didn't matter and they didn't feel like God was with them at all. Maybe you felt like that. I don't, Christmas is a great magnifier. If, you, if things are going well in life, it magnifies that, right? right? Life is good, right? You know, if you're feeling good, it, it magnifies that. But it also, if it's tough right now for you for whatever reason, it magnifies that. And maybe you're in this spot and there's a reality that's it's painful, it's reality that it's messy, it's reality that you don't know what to do and you're kind of asking, where's God in this? I don't feel God. I don't see God. And for some of us, the holidays are a reminder that there's this empty chair. And it may not be, you know, literally empty. It might not be physically empty, but it's empty because the person who used to sit there is no longer with us through death, no longer with us through broken relationship, no longer with us because they moved or whatever it may be. And there's that reality. For some of you, this time of the year reminds you that it's just another year where you financially couldn't do the things you wanted to do. 
For some of us, it's another year to remind us of the broken relationships, the dysfunctional family that we have. For some of us, it's, it's magnifying the personal issues, the addictions, the struggles that, that we have. But whatever it is, you're going through it and, and you're like, where's God in this? Emmanuel, God with us? Where is he? I don't feel God. I don't see God. But Matthew is giving us a promise. He's like, listen, he is God with you. God's promise to us is this, that no matter how we feel, no matter what's going on in our lives, that he was with us and will always be with us. His presence will always be with us. And so what's that mean? With us in the pain, with us in the struggle, with us in the chaos, with us in, in, in the celebration, but with us in the mess. And I want to talk about the mess idea for a second. Life is messy, isn't it? It's messy. And we can try to hide it. I know we got social media, so like social media is the highlight reel of our lives, but we try to hide it. But it's messy. It's like, you, what do they say? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, right? I don't know who puts lipstick on a pig, but apparently somebody does that. It's still a pig, right? But like you can try to hide it. You can put a filter on it. You can deny it. You can, you can make the best Christmas cards, but life is still messy, Right? And I think there's something beautiful about life being messy because the Christmas story was a little messy. Now you can, you can try to sanitize the Christmas message all you want. You can try to sanitize it, right? And, and, and you know, you got the kid pictures of it and, and all these beautiful pictures. And then sometimes we do the Christmas plays and it was like, it's not messy. But listen, y'all, we did a live nativity or, or walk through Bethlehem like when I first got here and I had to play Joseph and I was in a stable with some donkeys and some sheep and some goats. It was messy, right? right? And I got to go home and take a shower after that, right? But it was messy, it was messy how Mary and Joseph had to travel, you know, from, you know, from the Bethlehem for the census, right? It was messy when they got there. There was no room for the Savior who came to be with us. It was messy when King Herod decided to go kill all the babies under two years old. It was messy. And we try to sanitize it, and we do that a lot with Bible. Like, you know, when we think about the flood story, we, we teach kids that in VBS, but we don't, think about, we don't think about, like, how the flood story ultimately killed millions and millions of people, right? We don't think about when David killed Goliath, it was messy. We don't think about when the crucifixion, that it was messy. We kind of sanitize this sometimes, and we sanitize the Christmas message. And when we do that, we, we really miss a major point. That God came to be with us. And if we're messy, that means, he, that means he came into the middle of the mess. And maybe sure, there was a moment when he was born, there was a little bit of peace. But soon, because the world is broken and sinful, there was a mess all over. And it's messy. But I think the messiness kind of drives home the fact that he, he's God with us. That he's present with us in our mess. And there's a part of the Christmas story that we don't really preach on too much because... Um, it's hard to preach on these verses because it's just a list of names. But if you actually go to the Matthew's Christmas account, it starts with a list of names. And what do you do when you get to the list of names in the Bible? Be honest. You skip it, right? Someone's honest out there. You guys skip it, right? And I'm not going to read all those names to you today because I don't want to seem like I can't read. Because if I read those names, it would be hard to pronounce. But if you go to the beginning of Matthew, it starts with a genealogy, right? And it's just a list of names. It says so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so, basically. 
And, and to us, it doesn't mean that much, but in this culture, a genealogy was basically a resume. And if you were Jewish, which Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, you, your resume, your family tree was really important because your family tree can point you back to your lineage. And, and if you were Jewish, you wanted to have the right lineage. You wanted to have a Jewish lineage. So it's really important. And so Matthew starts writing out in the beginning of the genealogy, it starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and, and his brothers. And it continues like this for many verses. And it wasn't just a list of names. It was Matthew's way of saying, hey, y'all wake up. This is the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus, the one God said he would send from the line of David, whose father was Abraham, basically, in theory, right? Abraham and David, it's like, listen, God said the Messiah would come from this family line. Here it is. Now pay attention. So this is Matthew's way of driving home this point. This is the Messiah. So, like, you read these names, and, like, David and Abraham and Isaac and pretty pivotal people in the Old Testament and the God, you know, God used in amazing ways. But then if you keep reading, we're not going to read it today, you get to some names um, like Tamar, Rahab, you even get to David and Solomon. And all these names point to one thing, that Jesus' family tree was a little messy. It was a little messy. So Rahab, if you don't know the story of Rahab, she was a prostitute. Now, uh, you, your family might be a little dysfunctional. But Rahab was a prostitute. And, and God used her to do something amazing, but she was a prostitute. Tamar, her story, go home and read it. It makes Jerry Springer look like, you know, PG. Right? It was wild family dysfunction, right? Just say that. And then David. David's kind of the star, but you know what David did? David one day was out, and while his men were out at war, uh, he was out, you know, looking over his kingdom, and he sees this girl, Bathsheba, who was beautiful. He says, I want her. Bring her to me. Even though it was one of his men's wife, he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He then has her husband killed. That baby dies, right? That's the star of the family. So all of a sudden, your family might be dysfunctional, but I don't know if you got some this at your table on Christmas, right? Jesus' family was dysfunctional. It was a little messy. But God was redeeming this, right? Abraham, David, David was a man after God's own heart. But even he had his own problems. Abraham had his problems. Everyone in, in Jesus' family tree was a little messy. Why? Because they're human. Why is this important? The family that Jesus comes from reflects those he came to be with. Think about that. The family that Jesus comes from reflects those he came to be with. He came to be with us and he knew what it was like to be with us because he comes from a family that's dysfunctional just like us. I love what Hebrews 4 says. It says this, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has become tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have a Savior who understands what it's, to be with, what it's like to be us, because he came to be with us and he walked with us. Jesus was the Savior who walked with us. He came to be with us. He's present in our lives and he understands us. Because he lived, lived life just like we live. So we got God, we got with, 
And then we got the last word, us. Who's us? The later in the story of Matthew, the Christmas, what we call the Christmas account, Matthew says this about who us is. Because I bring you good news. So he's talking to shepherds. The angels are talking to shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Everybody say all. All the people. Today in the town of David, a, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Right? I love where it says all in you. Who did Jesus come for? He came for all the people. The Savior of the world from the line of David, who is the Messiah. He came for all people. No matter where you come from, no matter your last name, no matter your family tree, no matter what nation you're born into, he came to all the people. He came to everyone. He came for us. Who is us? Us is anyone who wants to put their faith and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. I bring you good news for all people. It's going to cause great joy for all people. What this says is no matter who you are, Jesus came for you. No matter who you are, no matter what your, your background is, that Jesus came for you. He came to this world to be present with you. But he didn't only just come to us. He came on a different mission. And, and you can't leave this out of the Christmas account because it, if you leave off the cross of the Christmas account, you don't really fulfill the Christmas account. Yes, he was born into the, this beautiful, we got the nativity scene, and it was beautiful, and it was amazing, and he, he was born of a virgin birth, and we celebrate that. But Joseph was very, got a very clear message. When the angel spoke to Joseph, if you go back to what it says in Matthew, he says this. She'll give birth to a son. You need to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. He came to be with us, but he also came to save us. And yes, he was present with us, and he lived with us, and he lived a life, the Hebrew says, but he was, and he was tempted, but he, he did not sin. And he lived a life, as we said earlier, that we couldn't live. And ultimately, this young ba this baby who was born in Bethlehem grows up to be the Savior who dies on the cross for you and I. And the Christmas account is just an opportunity to remember that he did it for us. That his mission was to save us and to be with us. That was his mission. If you go to the genealogy of Jesus, the last name is really the name that matters. You know what the last name is? It says, Jesus Christ the Lord. Period. No other names matter. It was as if God was saying, remember I told you, Israelites, I told you that I was going to do something special through, through you, for you. And as Matthew saying, world, remember God said he was going to do something to bring us back in a relationship with him? Well, it ends with this last name, Jesus, the Messiah. So it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter your family tree, it doesn't matter your dysfunction, it doesn't matter, matter your mess today. God is willing to go any distance to meet you there. That he came into this world for us. And that's what the Christmas story reminds us about. It's not about the nativity scenes, it's not about the lights, it's not about the, the gifts, it's not about the tree. It's about the Savior of the world being born in this world. To be God with us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are God with us.
That, that when you decided to save us, that you didn't just send a, a message, you sent the, the Alpha, the Omega, you sent the King of Kings to walk a, among us and live with us in this life. And, and we're promised today, if we put our faith in Him, that you will still be present in our lives, God. Your Spirit will continue to move in us, Father. So I pray today that this Christmas season, we don't forget that. We never lose hope and we never lose focus that you are God with us. In the middle of our pain, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our celebration, you are present in our lives. God, so we thank you for that. Father, today, if there's anyone here who needs to make that decision, that choice, to, to step into this relationship, to step into the, this promise that you have through Jesus, God, that they meet us in the back of this room and we have a conversation on what that means. But we are so thankful. And as we continue to worship today and sing these songs to you, Father, let us never forget we're here because you decide to be with us. You're born with us, to us, to come and save us. And we're forever grateful. To your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.